Hi, my name is Don Jansen. This is my wife, Evelyn. And we came to Sugar Creek Baptist Church about 26 years ago. We've experienced many opportunities for God to work in our church. I mean, the growth has been just exponential. And as a part of that growth, there's money required and growth. As we look towards the new campaign for the Rosenberg campus, it is just mind-boggling to me how the heartbeat of our church is to go out. Just as our motto is to love and lead all people to life-changing Christ. And that is the heartbeat of our church. It's wonderful to see that so many people are willing to step out there, get out of their comfort zone, do what needs to be done in order to further the kingdom. And we just, we're 100% in. We totally believe in this. This community, if you look around the world today, I mean, the community needs the Lord. I mean, they look for answers in a lot of different places. And when you think about our church, you think about its mission, you think about all the people that have been impacted. I mean, if you look at our church, it's like the United Nations. I mean, literally, you don't have to go on to the mission field in Africa or anywhere else. I mean, they're all delivered to our doorstep each and every day. What a tremendous blessing and opportunity we have. So as we grow to go out and expand the message, I think it's, it's for the benefit of this community. I don't think we always look at it how it benefits us. It's really how it benefits the community and continues to, as Evelyn said, love and lead all people to life changing Christ. And I have no doubt that this campaign will be successful because God is leading that effort. When you see God working this powerfully, it's, it's just so, I don't even know what the word would be, but it, it, it just inspires you. I mean, you, you just, to really know that you're walking with the Lord day to day, allowing Him to lead us, not get in front of Him, but to kind of go with Him. Uh, it's, it's a very significant undertaking, yet we serve a big God. And it, it's just, it, I can't wait to see what He's gonna do, but I do know this. I know that every time we've gone out and we set forth on whether it's a capital campaign or some effort, he always goes way beyond what we expect. And it's just, a, it's just kind of a testimony to this church that we dream big and God always delivers in a big way. Of the Jensen's testimony, you did too, it's obvious. And we appreciate Don and and uh, Evelyn and what God has done in through their lives in our church. And they're right. God has been in the middle of this place. And so many people are coming to know the Lord as Savior. There was a story that I, I read that I thought was pretty interesting about a guy who, uh, a, a dad, who took his, his uh, preschooler, I think he's four or five years old, took his preschooler out to lunch to McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. Because every kid is happy when they're eating a Happy Meal. I guess that was the reason. He took them to McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. And he said that they, they went up, bought the Happy Meal, sat at the table, and the aroma of the French fries just overtook him. He just said it was just amazing. And he said, I couldn't help myself. I reached over to get a couple of French fries from my son's pile of French fries, and he slapped my hand. And he said, no, Daddy, these are my French fries. 
And the guy's telling the story said, immediately I had three thoughts that came across my mind about what my son had just done. First of all, I said to myself, my son has forgotten that I am the source of the French fries. We only got to McDonald's because I drove us here. And we only got the French fries because I bought the French fries and my son has forgotten. I am the source of the French fries. And he said, the second thought that came across my mind is that I control the French fries. My son has forgotten that I control the French fries. If I say, we're not going to have any French fries at all, no French fries for you, big boy, there is no French fries. Or I could get 10 servings of French fries or 100 servings of French fries. I control the French fries. The guy said, I had another thought, and that other thought was, my son does not realize I don't need his French fries. I can buy French fries for myself. I can go right back up there, and I can buy French fries. I can buy a hundred orders of French fries for myself. But I am wanting my son to learn how to share, how to give something that he wants, that he likes, and to give it to someone else to learn how to share. So here I am. I'm, I'm reading the article about this whole story, and I'm thinking there's a whole lot of drama going on in this man's mind about two French fries. There's a lot of drama that's going through his mind. But then I thought, I thought, you know what? I wonder if this is how God feels sometimes about me and maybe even about you I wonder if this is how God feels about us sometimes, that, that God is not wanting our French fries, but God thinks sometimes, you know what, I think you've forgotten that I am the source of everything you have. I'm the source. Now look, I do know that you are brilliant. I know you are very smart. You are, you are very talented. And you've got things that you've got because you make such great decisions and you're so intelligent and you've got so much skill. But I also know that it is God that gave you that intelligence and gave you that wisdom to make great decisions and gave you that talent that you have and gave you opportunities. And the same thing for me. There is no such thing as a self-made man or self-made woman. It is a God-made man or God-made woman. God has given to us everything we have. He is our source. And sometimes in all of our haughtiness, we sometimes forget it, don't we? And second of all, that sometimes we forget that God is actually in control of the fries. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the Bible says. I've seen many people that have got a ton of money that just lost it. And as the Bible even says, be careful that you don't put all your trust in riches because they got a way of of flying away. But I've also seen God double and triple and quadruple an individual's dollars. I've seen God bless, and the truth is, God is in control a whole lot more than we realize in our lives. 
The third thing is God says to us, I don't need you. I was doing a pretty good job of being God before you came along. But I love you and I want to use you. And this is the fill in the blank. I want to use you for my glory and for your blessing. And I want you to learn how to share, to give away some of what I've given to you, even things you want. I want you to learn how to share, how to give away to bless other people and to bless me. I want to talk to you about that today. These are great days. These are fantastic days in the life of Sugar Creek Baptist Church. We're seeing God bless in so many ways, and we just got through singing about the faithfulness of God and thanking God for the faithfulness of God, and He has been faithful in this church. So many people on both of our campuses that are coming to faith in Christ, and, and they're having, we're seeing their lives changed and their families healed. And I mean both campuses. We are one church with two locations. So why do we have two locations? It is because God's dream, God's vision for Sugar Creek was better than 13 acres, and 13 acres is all we could get. We've got, we're landlocked. We've got 13 acres, but God's dream for us, his vision for us was to reach people beyond that capacity of 13 acres. And when we came to realize that, we made the decision, God, we will open our heart for you to do something that is different than maybe we've imagined. And God has blessed it. Now our other campus is, is filled to the gills, and this, fa- this campus has is now reached capacity. Capacity isn't determined here by our worship center, it's determined by our parking, and we are at a place in which we've got to do something. These are good days. These are wonderful days on both of our campuses. And so that is what Reach Beyond is all about, to say, God, we're, you, we know you're not finished So show us what to do next, and he has done that. I rarely talk about the subject of giving. I do it once a year, maybe twice a year at the most. I have a message that is about the subject of giving, but this is a little different right now because we are in kind of a special moment in which we are striving on both of our campuses to raise funds to be able to continue to expand. And on the Missouri City campus, they're raising funds, and next Sunday is their big commitment Sunday, raising funds to build a new worship center on the Missouri City campus because they believe they can get all the way to 2,000 on that property, and they believe it's going to happen in the next four or five years. God just is blessing that way. And we have on the Sugarland campus three projects that we're doing at the very same time that they're doing theirs, and three projects that we are trying to accomplish in the span of the next two years. The first one is is to pay off the purchase of the property of the Missouri City campus. Well, if, if we're the Sugarland campus, why are we paying off the Missouri City campus? And the reason is because we're the mother campus, and this is what moms do. We're taking the pressure off of the other campus, and we're absorbing that pressure ourselves. And we'd like to pay that off this next year. 
And the second thing is, is that we've already reached a saturation level. We're at the same place that we were six years ago when we launched the Missouri City campus. We're right back where we were, and it's time to launch another campus. And so we're wanting to raise $2.4 million so that we can build out a storefront in the Richmond-Rosenberg area and launch our third campus. And we already have 400 members who say we're all in and another 400 members that live in Richmond-Rosenberg that say we are praying and we have a great interest in this and we're going to see an amazing thing happen in the Richmond-Rosenberg area. And God is going to use this church to make a difference there, to reach beyond what this campus can reach. And the third thing is it's missions month. We do it every year. And we raise money for 100% of it going to missions. And instead of doing it in December, at least raising the money in December, we're going to raise it now as a part of this overall campaign. So the first $700,000 goes all of it to missions. All of it together is $5.7 million. And we ask, we're asking this campus, and our commitment Sunday is next Sunday, to raise this money to do these three projects. And over the course of the last several weeks in which we've been talking about this and doing town halls and that sort of thing, I've had several people that have asked me, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to determine what is it that I'm supposed to give or our family's supposed to give to a special project like this. I don't know where to start. Could you help us? So I want to do something a little differently than I usually do. I'm going to, I want to talk about that subject. How do we come to an understanding of what God wants us to give to this kind of an effort of these kinds of projects? I want to talk to you about that. And it dawned on me that there are two chapters that the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Those two chapters were dedicated to a special offering. He's writing these people at Corinth and he is telling them about this special offering that he is raising and the purpose of the offering is that the Christians in Jerusalem are in a famine that the, all that area was in a drought and a famine and they were hurting and struggling and he was saying to all the other Gentile Christians Let's raise money and let's help these, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, let's help them out. Let's raise a special offering and help take care of them. And so as he is writing this church of Corinth, he is saying, let me tell you how to do a special offering. And he gives to them chapter 8 and chapter 9, and it's all about this subject. How do you come to know what God is leading you to give to this special offering? So let's talk about what Paul teaches. The first thing that Paul teaches is that the first step is to open our hearts to sacrifice. And he uses Jesus as the example of sacrifice. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and here he is. He's giving them instructions. Here's how you take this special offering. And in the middle of it, he writes this verse, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What? 
What Paul is saying is in taking up a special offering, the first thing I want you to remember is the example of sacrifice that Jesus gave to us. Don't make any decisions about this offering and what you're going to give to it until you understand what Jesus did in his offering to you. This is what Paul is saying in the passage. Jesus was rich. He willingly gave it up so that he could become poor that you might be rich. So what in the world does he mean by that? In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas, and it is that time in which we remember that Jesus came from heaven to the earth to now be born as a baby in Bethlehem. The Bible says over and over that Jesus didn't originate in Bethlehem as a baby. Jesus was at the right hand of the throne of his heavenly Father as God the Son, One God, but he was a God who has shown himself in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is right there at the throne of his heavenly Father, and he leaves that throne, and he comes, and he takes on a body and is born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. He grows up in Nazareth with a poor family. An everyday, ordinary, poor family of that day. He gets splinters in his hands. He, he wipes the sweat from his brow. He, he has days in which he's totally exhausted and days in which he, he is hungry and thirsty. He goes through all the things you and I experience. Here is God taking on a body, and he goes through everything you and I go through. And then he is mistreated, and he is slapped around, And he has beaten and nailed on a cross. And all the while they're doing that to him, they are lying about him and mocking him and ridiculing him and laughing at him as he slowly dies. And the thing is, he could have stopped it all. He didn't have to go through this. He could have put an end to it all, but he didn't. So why? Listen to what Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 9 is talking about. He says, Jesus being in very nature God. What does that mean? Jesus being in very nature God. What does that mean? It means that everything you can say about the nature of God, you can say about Jesus. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere. Everything you can say about the nature of God, you can say about Jesus. That's what it means. Jesus, being in very nature God, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. He took all of his splendor in glory with his father, and he laid it aside, and he came and said, I will be born as a little baby, and I'll go through all the stuff that you and I go through, and I am willing to die on the cross. Why? To pay the penalty for your and my sin. I am willing to take my riches, lay them down, go and be poor so that you can be rich, so that you can know me, that you can know heaven, you can experience eternity in heaven because I am paying for your sins. 
It was the only shot you and I had. You and I can never be good enough to get to heaven. None of us will ever be good enough to go to heaven. And so he did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He became poor so that we would be rich. It is called sacrifice. That's what he was doing. He was sacrificing himself for us. The word sacrifice is actually two Latin words that have been brought together. One is sacra, which means sacred. Another is facio, which means to make. To sacrifice is to make something sacred, and the word sacred means set apart for God. He took himself, and he set himself apart as a sacrifice for his Father and for you and me. So why in the world does Paul bring all that up in the middle of a, a chapter that is, let me explain to you how you can take a special offering. Why does he say that? Because what Paul is saying is, before you even consider what you might give to this special offering, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. I want it to be a sacrifice that you give to him. We cannot give back to God equally because some have more than others financially. It was never intended for us to give equal gifts. It was only intended that we give an equal sacrifice. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So the question then we ask ourselves is, what would be a sacrifice for me? In where I am in my life, what would be a sacrifice for me? There's another amazing verse in that chapter talking about the same subject, and here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 5. The Macedonian Christians did not do what we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. What is he saying? He said, these Christians in Macedonia were far more spiritually mature than we ever imagined. They took us by surprise. We never expected them to do this. We didn't think they would be this far along in their Christian life. You know what they did? When they heard that there was a special offering, they first gave themselves to God and said, God, we're yours. Everything we have is yours. It's all yours. Now, God, you tell us what you want us to do. That's what he is saying. These two verses in this chapter, as Paul's saying, here's how you give a special offering. Paul said, this is what it's all about. You, you start with the idea of a sacrifice. Here we are. We are yours. What would you like me to sacrifice for Jesus for this special offering? This is what's been happening in this church all these years. This is why we're sitting in this room today. This room, built 93, 94, this room, this worship center was built with a great level of sacrifice. People in this church had to first give themselves to God. God, everything I have is yours. And now, God, you tell me what you want me to give back so that this worship center could become a reality. And here we are, and we are all the beneficiaries of it. And in fact, every building on this property, this property itself, is another example of sacrifice. So what Paul says is, okay, you want to get this figured out. What is it that I should give God? Well, Paul said, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think, of what would be a sacrifice for me to give to God? 
There's a second thing he then tells us, and this is in chapter 9. The second step is to walk through the process of a right attitude at our giving. And he says it this way in verse 7. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In this very short verse, look at all he packs in. Here's what he says. Here's the process to go through. First of all, give decisively. Every person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. Decisive giving is giving with conviction that is based upon, okay, I want to be obedient to God's word. I want to pray. I'll pray about this. I will plan. I'll think it through, and I'll leave the results with God. The context of this chapter is not about tithing. It's about a special offering, giving a special offering to God. Decisive giving is not impulsive giving. It is thinking it through and praying it through. Kathy and I have counted it up. We have actually, in our marriage together, we've been through eight capital funds campaigns. It's absolutely amazing. All these churches that we have pastored, we've seen God bless, and we've had to build buildings and buy property, and we have been through eight of these capital funds campaigns. And I want to tell you what we've done. In the first capital funds campaign, we, we were just barely making enough money just to make ends meet. And, but, so we, how do we, we tithe, but how do we give above our tithe? We can barely pay the bills. And so we thought, okay, now there is a place in which we get money that we don't, you know, it's beyond a salary. Like, for instance, when pastors sometimes do a funeral, sometimes people give them money and when, you know, sort of thank you for helping us. And sometimes with weddings, they do that. And then sometimes pastors are asked to come and preach at other churches, at revivals that used to be and other speaking engagements. Well, I was having those things happen to me. And so what Kathy and I decided is in our first capital funds ever campaign, we said, you know what? We can't think of how we could give any out of our salary. So here's what we're going to do, God, for the next three years. Every penny that comes in from doing any weddings or funerals or any special speaking engagements, all of it goes to you. All of it goes to you. So you know what we did? We added it all up, what we had seen happen the year before, and uh, we thought, well, if we do this, God's going to really bless it, so we doubled it. And we thought, we don't know how in the world this is going to happen, but this is going to be our pledge to God. This is, okay, we're committing this to you. Can I tell you, the next three years stunned us. We were, we were I was marrying so many people. It was, I guess I, they were all waiting until God was, because I was doing so many weddings the next three years, far more than usual, and I don't want to say that because of that commitment, people died and went to heaven early because I don't say that. I'm not thinking that's the case. But I will tell you what happened in one of the funerals because sometimes people would give me $20 or something like that. And a guy, I did the funeral for this, this guy's family, and he gave me a check for $500 that had never happened before. And I said, I can't take this, $500. I can't do this. And he says, you have to. He said, I was just, I just said, God, what should I give the pastor? And I, he laid this number on my heart and I'm giving this check for $500 to you. And I said, well, let me tell you why he did that. Because every dime of this is going to go to our building campaign at our church. 
Can I tell you something? I got I was speaking everywhere you can imagine. We had so much more money than we ever could possibly dream come through this these three things for those three years and every dime we gave back to God. We had take, taken the normal doubled it and we gave far more. We gave far more than we had had committed. And as soon as the campaign was over, I mean, nobody got married, no one, nobody died, wasn't asked to come and speak. And you know what happened? In this moment, he was saying to a young pastor, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you, if you trust me, let me show you what I can do. And God blessed it. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you, he doesn't just do that for pastors, so this is how we decided. In other times, there was one, we said, we're going to double tithe. Wow, that was, that was tough. But we made the decision. There were other times we made different decisions about what it is we're going to do because we would pray and we'd feel God impress our heart. This is what we should do. And that's what we committed. And we've done that again on this one. Kathy and I have talked it through. We know what God is telling us to, to commit. And we're going to turn in our commitment card next Sunday. Now, for some, I've had people in the church that said to me, well, we need more help than this. This is way too subjective. We need more help than this. And by the way, I've had a couple of people say, by the way, do you remember with the capital funds campaign that we had that we built this, this family center and yay God for the family center 12 years ago, 10 years ago, you remember when we did that? We had a, a giving levels chart and I said, you know what? That never even came to mind. We will get that done. And so we went back. We compared about the last campaign and all that in, in, in relationship to this campaign and talked to somebody to get some help with it. And, and now we have that. And it is in your worship guide, and it is in the back of the prayer guide, and it is this chart. That's what this chart is. And this chart is... Because a couple members of the church said, you know, this would be a help. Maybe it'd be a help to, to others too. And so there it is. And I'm going to ask them to put it up on the screen. And you're going to notice that the top gift is $750,000. And Kathy and I are not giving it. We are not giving the $750,000. So I want you to be aware of that. But God has told us what we are to give. Because it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. And so... He has laid on our heart. And maybe this chart can help you. You can look through this and say, you know, I could do this. Could this? I feel good about this. I, I begin to pray about it, think about it, and pray about it, and ask God, what should you do? That is a gift that is to give decisively. That's the idea. To think about it, pray about it, this is what we believe God is leading us to do. And maybe this, that chart can be a help. There's a second thing he says, give voluntarily, don't give grudgingly, and don't give because somebody guilted you. Do not let Mark Hartman guilt you. Don't let Sugar Creek guilt you. Don't give grudgingly and don't give out of being guilted. Give voluntarily. So here's what I'm going to say. I've said this many times in this church, and maybe, but some of you may not remember it or, or may have never heard it. Early in my ministry, I made the decision that I would not know who the givers in the church were. 
and what they gave. I would not know. And what happened with that is that I came across this passage in James chapter 2 where it says they're being, uh, the leaders of a church are being criticized and saying, you are treating wealthy people better than you're treating people that don't have money, don't have much money, and it's wrong to do it. So early on in my ministry, I said, you know, I'm just a human being. I have temptations like everybody else. And if I know who gives and who doesn't give, if I know how much somebody gives, I will be tempted. So I make the decision that I will bar myself from having access to that information. And I have done that throughout my ministry. I do not know who gives and who doesn't give in this church. And have you give, I don't know how much you give. So here's what I want to say to you. And if you don't give anything, don't tell me. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know it. Because what I want is you to give for right reasons, not wrong reasons. And I don't want to be tempted. So here's what I want to say to you. I can come and talk about this capital funds campaign, and I can tell you this is what my wife and I are doing and how a process we go through. But, but when, at the end of the day, I won't know whether you gave one dime to this capital funds campaign. I want you to give. We need this to happen. But if you give, I won't know. And if you don't give, I won't know. I don't want to be external pressure that causes you to do something. I do want the Holy Spirit to be that pressure inside, just like he is in me, to come and speak to your heart and now, God, you be the, the leader. You be the guide. You be the pressure inside. None of our pastors know. Only our finance office, somebody's got to know. Only our finance office knows. The third thing is give cheerfully. Give decisively. Think it through. Pray it through. God, what is a sacrifice for me? Give decisively. Second of all, give because the Holy Spirit is leading you to give. Give voluntarily. And third, give cheerfully. The Greek word for cheerfully is the Greek word hil hilaros, which means hilarious. The verse is really saying God loves an hilarious giver. An hilarious giver. So how can a person giving be hilarious in giving. I mean, I had this money and now I give it away. The same reason that the guy, the dad said, what I want my son to do is learn how to share, how to give away, even the stuff that he loves, these great French fries, to share with someone else. And God is saying exactly the same thing to us. I want my children to learn how to give back to me and how to give to others. So what would cause us to be an hilarious giver? We can have joy in our giving when we give to God out of our love for him. God, I love you. My motivation of giving is not Mark Hartman. It's not what will somebody see or not see. My motivation of giving is because, God, I love you. You sacrifice for me. I'm sacrificing back.
Second of all, because out of gratitude, God, look at all you've done for me. I am not a self-made man or woman. I am a God-made man or woman. You've given me talents and abilities and knowledge and, and intelligence and, 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 and opportunities, and you have blessed me, and you've given me all these things. And God, out of appreciation, I give back to you. I give back to you a sacrifice. We give to God out of our faith. God, I'm trusting you for my future. This is what Kathy and I did when we said, okay, what did we get last year for our first campaign? These three things. Now let's double it because we're going we're to trust God to do more than we would have imagined. Give out of, to give out of faith. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He's still talking about, okay, how do you give? Remember this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. So, so sow liberally, so generously. And the fourth is we give to God out of our desire to partner with God and his goals. Proverbs 10, verse 16, a good person's earnings, it's, it's, being, it's partnering with God and his goals. A good person's earnings advances the cause of righteousness. So are your earnings doing that? I mean, I know that they're giving you new things and new stuff, but are they also advancing the cause of righteousness? And if it's not, it needs to. Your money needs to help enlarge the size of heaven. Now put all this together. He then says this. I give you a promise. God gives you a promise. I can expect God to now meet my needs. I've given sacrificially. I've given decisively. I've given cheerfully. I've given not out of compulsion, but because I love God. I can now expect God to meet my needs. Look at what he says in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God is saying, I can and will take care of you. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. I'll show you what to give. Do it. And let me teach you about who I am. There you go. Start with an attitude. Okay, God, what is a sacrifice for me? It's different for different people. It's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. What's a sacrifice for me? Think about it. Think it through. Pray it through. What is God speaking to your heart and your mind about what to do? Then do it. Don't get, be guilted into it. Give it instead being God-led out of your love, gratitude, and trust for Him. There it is. This is how Kathy and I do this. And I want to encourage you. Open your heart and let God show you. But here's the last thing I want to say to you. I would love it if we did it together. I would love it if... if you say, well, I, I, I look at the very bottom of that chart, and I still can't do that. Well, yay, that's okay. Even if it's a dollar a year, a cup of coffee or whatever coffee costs, a dollar a year, God, I will give that to you because I want to be a part of reaching people beyond. I want to be a part, and that's what I challenge you to do. Now, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. 
Now that I've shared in my life what we do and what the Word of God says, would you, would you do me a favor? Would you stand? We've done this the last two Sundays. Would you do it again? Would you stand? We're all over the worship center. I'm going to ask you to take the hand of the people next to you and uh, across the aisles. And here is the big thing that I've just been so impressed about. Let's do this together. Let's do it together. No matter what the gift is, it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. Let's do it together so that together we are seeing the gospel continue to go out beyond us, to reach beyond. So let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we say, Lord, we love you. We do know that you have given us so much opportunity, so much privilege, and that you've taken such great care of us. And so, Father, we do say to you, Lord, we love you and we want to do what you've said about sacrifice. So show us what that is for us individually. Show us what it is for us individually. And Lord, now we'll just, we will do as you have, as you lead us to do, but not out of compulsion. Nobody in this church will know. Not out of compulsion, just you. Father, I pray that you would bless us and help us to reach beyond the people that need you and that we can be who you use to make a difference and an impact in the lives of other people. We've not yet seen yet, but we'll be reached because of it. And we ask, Father, show us. Individual, individual people, individual families, show us what to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.